And what's happening, everybody? Welcome on into the Check Your Brain podcast, hosted by me, Tony Mazur. This is a solo episode that, you know what? I wasn't happy with Monday's, or actually, I should say Tuesday's podcast that I put out. That's on Rumble. You can go check it out. You can like it. If you, if you like it, I appreciate it. But I thought this one would be a better representation of my podcast, something to put out on Wednesday on the free podcast platforms. At, but if you like more and you'll get more on Thursday, go to patreon.com slash Tony Mazer. I am Tony Mazer, and that is uh, FM by Steely Dan, a little good yacht rock to open up the show to uh, discuss some things. I have, uh, I have plenty here on this podcast. I decided to do a uh, solo show instead of having a guest this week, mainly because it is getting towards the holidays. I do like doing these solo episodes, and you might need some arsenal, some uh, figurative bullets in your chamber as you head to your holiday parties and get-togethers for Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, winter solstice. People still doing that, I guess? Sure. Uh, but in case you want to argue with a relative, because that's what we learned about Thanksgiving is uh, you have to get everything ready. You have to argue with your family over politics, which you shouldn't. You shouldn't. But uh, I guess it's good to at least have this in your arsenal for when you go uh, head on over for uh, this one stop shop of politics, pop culture and the usual nonsense on the Check Your Brain podcast. Here's something I found that was kind of uh, nonsensical. It's a bill that's trying to go through Congress that seems like it has some bipartisan uh, backing to it. But I, I just want to give some background before I get into this. So as the, my longtime followers know, I worked in radio for about a decade and a half, a little over 15 years. If you're just stumbling upon this podcast, first of all, I thank you for listening. Second, yes, I did work in radio for 15 years from call screener and I, I did a lot of odd jobs for very little, if any, money. I mean, I worked as a high school football reporter, and I got paid in pizza. That's a true story. I was I was a high school football reporter at WHK, 1420 WHK. And I got paid in pizza. And the reason for that, because otherwise, I, if, if I didn't go to the radio station that night and get the pizza, I would have gone home and got nothing. So I figured I'd make it worth my while. I would request 7 o'clock football games to cover because our brokered show, which was sponsored by a, an Italian place, uh, it was on at 10 o'clock. So the way I saw it is 7 o'clock game ends around 9.25, 9.30. I get in my car. I drive to the radio station. I do my report in the parking lot of the radio station, then walk in and eat my pizza and go. That's what I did. And I did a bunch of different weird free jobs or very low-paying jobs. Radio Disney, I worked that five years as a DJ. Made very little money. Although, <laughs> no wonder. Ever, si ever since Radio Disney went away, have you noticed that Disney has just kind of really just hit the bottom? A anyways. Then I started working full-time in radio, and I never in radio made more than 30 grand. Actually, I shouldn't say that. My last, when I became program director, I was in the 40s. But for the most part, especially in my AM radio days, I made about $28,000. Yeah, I'm fine with mentioning my salary. It's embarrassing, but it's kind of indicative of what's going on in this industry. Who cares about radio? Who cares about terrestrial radio? Very few people do. It's a literally a dying population and a dying listening base. 
And that's why they don't have the money to pay good money for personalities. I knew one who just up the road from me here in Cleveland, Ohio. He is a a sports guy. I think he's doing some web show or whatever, which I don't think that pays anything. But he said, I, I have to leave my post. I was doing a seven. He's like, I'm doing a seven to midnight show, which is five hours, 25 hours a week, plus all the prep and the drive to get in there and everything. And I'm making 20 grand and all the fans were like, oh, we're going to miss you. And they said, oh, I don't blame you. You're only getting paid $20,000. And it was actually less than that because you take out the taxes. It's a dying industry. And I, the way I see it, you just have to let it die. Well, here's a new bill that has some bipartisan backing here. It says Capitol Hill source uh, cruise to hotline his bill to save AM radio. I guess that's a, is that a pun? Hotline. Hey, on the hotline. Hey, we got Senator Ted Cruz here from Texas. A Capitol Hill source familiar with Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz's efforts to save AM radio told Red State the conservative plans to hotline his bill, S-1669, AM radio for every vehicle act of 2023, with colleagues before the end of the week. When, it a, when a senator hotlines a bill, he reaches out to every colleague to secure consensus from all 100 senators. This process, also called clearance, allows the bill to proceed expediously to passage by unanimous consent. The source told Red State Cruz and his co-sponsor, Senator Ed Markey, Democrat from Massachusetts, are concerned that automakers have already begun removing AM radios from new vehicles, and if not stopped through government action, millions of drivers will be disconnected just by the natural attrition of the marketplace turnover. Now, I didn't like, going, what, 2009, so it's almost 15 years ago, when the TVs, when everyone had to switch to digital, and if you had an analog TV that, at I forgot what the date was, and it's going to go off right now. And then it's just static and color bars and tone. And you can't access anything unless you had a digital converter or a new TV. <clears throat> and I didn't like that at the time. A lot of people still had the big box TVs. But it is 2023. We're going on 2024. Everybody kind of has an HD flat screen TV right now. They're very cheap. It'd be one thing if... It, it, it would be one thing if these TVs were still $2,000, $3,000. You can get a flat-screen TV, a, a, a halfway decent one, for 100 bucks. It's not that bad. Um, so you kind of let the market decide for itself. Now, here's the thing. I, I understand what they're talking about with this. Well, the marketplace isn't deciding. Government needs to step in because these automakers are taking away AM radio out of cars. In fact... I think my 2019 Toyota Corolla, uh, I, I don't have it anymore, it was a leased car, but I think that was the last that was going to have a terrestrial radio antenna. That if you really, really loved your local radio station, you would go on the app and listen to it, but otherwise, you have a smartphone, most likely, connect your Bluetooth, plug in your USB or USB-C cord, and listen to whatever you want. In fact, you can listen to podcasts like this. You can listen to Spotify. You can uh, YouTube music, Apple music, whatever. You have ample, uh, unlimited options to listen to in your car that you don't have to listen to, you know, uh, uh, your local radio station that has some dumb morning zoo. There's other options. You're allowed to listen to something else. Just because it's on doesn't mean you have to listen to it. 
just because you listened to it 20 years ago doesn't mean you still have to listen to it today. Where's your dedication? They, they don't really care about you. So this is not me as sour grapes by saying that the marketplace has kind of decided already. They don't listen. They don't like regular radio. And if anything, you kind of need to nudge people in a direction by saying there's better options. It's kind of it's one of those things where regular radio, like every old form of media, has failed to adapt. And this is a perfect example of this. But I would say around 2007, 2008, radio stations were just starting to stream their content on their website. And they were concerned at the time because it's not going to show up in the books. Like, what if people are really big into listening to our radio station, but only online? It's not going to show up on our local books. Okay, so what? <laughs> Why don't, you, don't you have a measurement tool and you can apply that? Well, now they do. But that's why they were a little hesitant. 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 They were hesitant in trying to promote their online content. But eventually, they caved, and everybody else kind of did that. Radio has refused to adapt. <clears throat> and do I like the fact that Carmen? Like, and some are wondering: Is this an anti-conservative? Uh, like for Republican talking points, because. The one bastion of conservatism of the last probably 35 years has been AM radio. While everything else has kind of gone very MSNBC, CNN, New York Times, all the old media has kind of reverted to this more liberal, progressive lean. Conservative talk radio is the one that actually has worked and has worked very well, all the way, of course, from Rush Limbaugh and everybody else who's Spawned from that, Michael Savage, Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity, uh, Mike Gallagher, Dennis Prager, Michael Medved, all the way now to the Dan Bonginos of the world. And AM radio had a nice bounce back. That's why it was kind of funny when I did work in AM radio and I and Rush Limbaugh had passed away and looking at my coworkers just go, <laughs> rest in piss, Rush. Uh, Rush Limbaugh's the reason you have a job. Rush Limbaugh almost single-handedly saved AM radio from its... Ex it was going to go away. The point of that FM, that Steely Dan song, and songs of that nature was you weren't going to AM radio to listen to rock music or pop stations, especially by the 80s. No, they all went over to FM, and they're all on digital. So AM became just nothing but talk radio. And now it's just... it's Essentially, it's just all Christian radio. Maybe Christian nationalist radio. Maybe that's where all the Christian nationalism is going on right now. <laughs> that, well, at least that's according to what James Carville thinks. That's the big threat nowadays. I don't think he can hold his party together. Second of all, you're exactly right. Mike Johnson and what he believes is one of the greatest threats we have today to the United States. When I, when I, I, I promise you, I know these people. You're talking about Christian nationalism. That's absolutely. About this, is, this, is a, this is a, a bigger <clears throat> threat than al-Qaeda to this country. They, and let me tell you something. They're Speaker of the House. They got probably at least two Supreme Court justices, maybe more. Right? Don't kid yourself. And, and people in the press have no idea who this guy is, how he was formed, what the threat is. And this is a fundamental threat 
to the United States. It is a fundamental, they don't believe in a constitution. So that's James Carville, who cannot actually define what Christian nationalism is, uh, claiming that Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House, is a Christian nationalist. Now, when you hear non-religious people refer to religious people, they always refer to the extremists. They say, oh, he's Christian, he must be a Christian nationalist. This must be a Christian nationalist. Now, what does that mean? What, like, what exactly, what do you mean by Christian nationalism? Well, I, you know what, let's look it up. Christian nationalism definition. I'm going to look it up, see what Google, because of course Google's always right about everything. Christian nationalism is a type of religious nationalism that is affiliated with Christianity. Wow, what a definition! It primarily focuses on the internal politics of society, such as legislating civil and criminal laws that reflect their view of Christianity and the role of religion in political and social life. Actually, that definition does not sound that unreasonable. I mean, these are these are also people who have no problem with flooding our country with third world immigrants who practice Sharia law and uh, Sharia law, Christian nationalism. I mean, is that tomato, tomato? I mean, if you don't like Christian nationalism, you're certainly not going to like Sharia law. I'll tell you that much. But uh, they can't really define it. So heading into 2024 and next year's election, I guarantee you this is going to be a huge talking point about the dangers of white Christian nationalism. There was white nationalism and now white Christian nationalism. This is what the big threat is nowadays. Ooh, the spookiness of Christian. See, these people, they wear their religion on their sleeves. Yeah, that used to be called uh, being Christian. And we see in a rapidly secular world that things aren't going so well and people seem to enjoy uh, uh, making their decisions based on their faith. They're called faith-based decisions. <laughs> like, what would Je remember what would Jesus do? Remember we used to wear those uh, before finding out I was very uh, moody Bible college, very Zionist uh, <laughs> language there. Uh, but people wore WWJD in their, uh, uh, on wristbands back in the day, and it was okay. See, what would Jesus do? See, it's not what, what Satan would do. What would you do? What would Jesus do? Well, do what Jesus would do. And then, of course, it became, well, Jesus would have supported abortion. Jesus was all for open borders. Jesus uh, didn't like weapons, so therefore Jesus would have been for gun control. Yeah, I, I don't want to be Jesus-splained by people who aren't religious. So I, I, I don't know about James Carville if he's a Christian. I would assume he's not. I'm assuming he's probably a rabid atheist. I don't want to get my religious viewpoint and, and, and how I'm supposed to live my life and how I'm supposed to usher in my faith and how I'm supposed to, where I'm to go to worship. Because James Carville, who was Bill Clinton's advisor back in the 90s, you want to talk about social morals and the decay of social morality. I'm not going to James Carville for all that. <laughs> tell you that much. Um, but there are a lot of issues nowadays when it comes to targeting Christianity. And this was a memo that came out earlier this year that many of us were not surprised about, that there was a memo that went to the DOJ that there were federal agents hanging out in the backs of Catholic churches, especially traditionalist Catholic churches, spying on them to see if they were going to have any, you know, Christian nationalism in their church. And uh, so Josh Hobley, 
was uh, pressing Chris Ray on this uh, this memo that came out, and of course he's not going to really answer the real questions here. Three. Have priests or choir directors been approached? By the way, are, are Catholic choirs now, are, are, they, are they breeding grounds for domestic terrorism? Is this, is this your latest theory? How many other parishes have FBI agents approached priests and choir directors to ask about parishioners? Look, Senator, we do not and will not conduct investigations based on anybody's exercise of their constitutionally You have religion. done so, and your memo sure. explicitly asks for it. Those your memo labels traditional Catholics as racially and ethnically motivated violent extremists in need of investigation. You have a list of churches, a list in the memo. You've repeatedly said we don't target churches, we don't list churches. They're listed in the memo. So how many other parishes have you gone to to talk to choir directors, for heaven's sake? As I've said, know the answer to that question. <laughs> no, I don't know the answer to that question. Of course he doesn't. He does not know the answer to that question because the, there's, there's a lot of stories out there that are, uh, you have Catholic parishes that are having federal agents spying to make sure they're not saying it, which have you gone to a traditional Catholic church? There's not one thing about race that's being brought up. I go to traditional Catholic churches. They don't bring up race. They may bring up abortion. They may bring up uh, same-sex marriage, but is that is that the worst thing? Is that the worst thing in the world? They're not talking about racial politics or really politics in general. I, I, none of the Catholic churches I've gone to said that Donald Trump is our savior. You need to vote for him. None of them do that. They just talk about the, the evils, the, the demonic nature of our culture. And apparently that's a bad thing. That we should all, if we need to go to church, we need to go to those fun-loving ones with the rainbow and the uh, pride progress flag in the window. <clears throat> Here's the thing, and I've said this on many other podcasts. I'm not sure if I've discussed it on the free podcast here. The way, looking back 20 years ago, do you remember the whole Islamic panic? I don't. I don't think it was. I don't think it was unjustified to feel that way. But there were some unjustified actions and reactions after September 11th, where you were seeing some of these drunk hillbillies take their car and plow through a, a, a synagogue or a, a, a temple. I was going to say synagogue, but no, that's going on nowadays. That they're driving through like Sikh temples and they're plowing into Indians and people who had nothing to do with it, but they have a turban on and they're brown. And there was a lot of panic that was happening at the time. So. People were willing 20 years ago to give up their background, their privacy, because they wanted to feel safe. Isn't that kind of funny? Like, I just want the comfort of safety. Almost like something happened in 2020 that uh, there was some kind of panic that happened out there that you would prefer safety over liberty. But that's how pe people felt 20 years ago. I have nothing to hide. You can tap my phones. You can check my email. I have nothing. See, I'm just a church-going Christian American, a family man. I have a couple of kids, blah, blah, blah. You didn't realize, you didn't think that 20 years later that you were going to be the domestic terrorist because you, what, go to church, you're a Christian man because of who you voted for or what masses you attend. Instead, they looked at you now the weaponized three-letter agencies look at you now as the domestic terrorist. Oh, you go to church? Well, you, you, sir, you, sir, are a problem. 
We need to take care of this. We need to, where, what church, what saint, what, uh, of what parish, where are you going? And they're hanging out in the back because they view you, parents, at school board meetings, they view you, traditionalist Catholics, as domestic terrorists. Isn't it unbelievable? As Antifa burned and BLM burned cities down because they didn't get what they want, because they rooted for George Floyd, they're not domestic terrorists. They're doing so because it's hood justice. This is a see. People are just mad because of how uh, the, the oppression that the, the black and brown communities have gone through for centuries and blah 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 blah. But you're the domestic terrorist because you're upset they're teaching your children about gender queer and oral sex in schools and uh, and all these other slogans, and you're a domestic terrorist because you think the, the Catholic Church, the, the church that uh, <clears throat> Pope, uh, Pope Francis, that Bergoglio is trying to push of this same-sex marriage and getting away from tradition and this New Age version of Catholicism, you're like, yeah, I, I want to go back to tradition. Well, you, sir, you, ma'am, are a domestic terrorist. Sorry to say that, but uh, that's, that's how these three-letter agencies uh, look at you. But has anybody been fired over that? That memo that came out saying that, oh, you're a traditionalist Catholic who goes to a church and you're a domestic terrorist. Has anybody been fired? Well, let's be honest. No one has. But I can tell you that we don't investigate people for their exercise of their constantly protected, constitutionally protected religious expression. I, that I particular can't... intelligence product is something that as soon as I saw it, I was aghast. I had it withdrawn. Really, you were aghast. I was. And, oh, really? Yes, and what sir. have you done about it? Did you fire the people who wrote it? No, I had it withdrawn. Have you fired anybody involved in it? Senator, if you will give me a chance to answer That's a your yes question. or a no. It's not hard. Have you fired anyone involved in the writing of that outrageous memo about which, frankly, you've repeatedly misled the public? Yes right. or no? The individuals involved have in that you product fired were anyone? not, just a minute, were not found to have engaged in any intentional or bad faith conduct. And in fact, in fact, Senator... A number of the individuals the involved. No. A number of the individuals involved in writing that product in the Richmond office were themselves Catholics. So the notion oh, I see. that so they were targeting they, their own oh, faith oh, so they is not a jail free card. I see. I they, see. So you're I immune and they're that. immune. So we shouldn't ask questions about it. You haven't done a darn thing. You haven't. Isn't that fascinating? Oh, see, uh, understand the people that they weren't at, they weren't doing that in bad faith. They weren't spying on Catholic churches in bad faith. And plus, by the way, they are Catholic. Mm -hmm. See, what are you going to do about that? Yet Joe Biden apparently says he's Catholic, and so does Nancy Pelosi. They're the least Catholic Catholics. As somebody who is himself a Roman Catholic, Joe Biden is, I'm sorry, you cannot, not one priest should ever grant them communion. If Joe Biden goes up with his hands out there, which, you know, we'll, we'll get into old sleepy Joe here in a second, uh, he, he, just, he does not deserve communion. I'm sorry, does not. Uh, but that's, again, that must be a domestic terrorist talking point. The fact that I would say that, how dare I say the president doesn't deserve communion? Because I don't think he should. I think he should be barred from it. Um but yeah, has anyone gotten fired? Any accountability? No. I, and, and if anything, not only have they not been fired, they probably got a, a party thrown for them, a vacation planned. Uh, <laughs> they probably got promoted. The answer is no. Nothing's been happening. In fact, they probably celebrated that. Um, a couple other things. There's it, just more unimpressive people that we see in our society. 
So, of course, we have an election coming up in about 11 months, and you're starting to see the people mention that if you a vote for Donald Trump is a vote for authoritarianism. I believe Jeffrey Goldberg over at The Atlantic had a piece on it saying, like, you're just, if you do this, you're supporting authoritarianism. Now, we've seen authoritarianism the last couple of years, kind of like if you don't take this experimental gene therapy in your arm, then you will get fired from your job. That how, how, how is the government telling private companies that if your employees don't take this jab into their arm over that's not going to cure whatever virus you have, it's not going to prevent you from getting it or spreading it, yet you got to take it because you got to be compliant. Do not comply is what it should. Oh, that must be another domestic terrorist uh, <laughs> talking point there. But uh, here's Liz Cheney who essentially says that if you support Donald Trump, they're getting their ducks in the row going into 2024 right now. So Liz Cheney, who I, I don't know one Republican who still respects her. After, again, 20 years ago, and what her father and the George W. Bush administration trying to get us in every war and uh, extending the arm of the military-industrial complex, here's Liz Cheney, who is a useful idiot to the, uh, to the Democrats right now. Just listen to this one. Absolutely. What happens if Mike Johnson's the speaker on the 6th of January, 2025? He can't be. You know, we're facing a situation with respect to the 2024 election uh, where it, it's an existential crisis. Uh, and we have to ensure that we don't have a situation where an election that might be thrown into the House of Representatives. But before I continue, I love existential crisis. How many times in the last, oh, four years have we heard existential crisis or just crisis in general? That's the way politics is. Everything has to be a crisis, meaning if there's a crisis, you need to act and react now to said crisis. There's a crisis. People are getting sick. We need to shut society down. We need to mask everybody up, including your babies. Uh, we, we need to uh, stick needles into your arm because it's a crisis, the climate crisis. Don't you understand? We need to, even though we're going over into Germany and having several private planes there and that are getting grounded because <laughs> the, the planes are frozen solid on the tarmac. But, you know, climate change, it's a crisis, existential crisis. And now we have uh, January 6th, then Donald Trump and Trump supporters and MAGA and Ultra MAGA and Mega MAGA, 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 MAGA. It's an existential crisis. And again, if once you hear crisis, the stimulus response is crisis, we need to act. So that's where she's going with this. Um, is overseen by a Republican majority. So you would prefer a Democratic majority? I, uh, I believe very strongly in those principles and ideals that have defined the Republican Party. But the Republican Party of today has made a choice and they haven't chosen the Constitution. And so I do think it's, uh, it presents a threat if the Republicans are in the majority in January 2025. Okay, well, the Republican Party, Liz, is not the same Republican Party. I, I, actually, I, I wish it was even further away from your version of the Republican Party. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the Republicans in wide support of expelling George Santos. Now, is George Santos a an upstanding citizen? Is George Santos a liar about his background? Of course he is. Who isn't? The reason I supported George Santos is he kind of 
it, it, it was the mask slip of what, what happens nowadays in Congress, is that they're all like this, yet they all had to go out and expel George Santos. So Republicans, they can't do anything right. They're fine with being the loser party, the Washington generals party, which it was during the Liz Cheney days. They, although you say, well, they, they won back in the day. Yeah, because again, they used crisis, the, the radical Islamic terrorism. We need to fight them terrorists. We need to uh, uh, instill the Patriot Act. That was their crisis at the time, the neocons. Uh, she is a neocon. Liz Cheney is a neocon. I am not a neocon. Uh, I I hope today's Republicans are not going to be neocons who want us to get into every war. We'll talk about Ukraine here in a little bit because it, it's kind of kind of a fascinating litmus test to see where the pulse of the parties are because they're it's, it's changed a lot over time. But that yeah, that's Liz Cheney again, who's uh, basically what she's saying is she'll vote for Joe Biden over Donald Trump any day of the week. Uh, I'll get to that here in a second. Let's go to Joe Biden here. So today is, uh, I'm recording this. It is December 5th. So on this day, four years ago, so again, if you're hearing this, it's probably Wednesday the 6th, but on this day, four years ago, there's a classic clip of Joe Biden versus a fat voter who I think was an Elizabeth Warren supporter, and he starts going after him. But listen to Joe Biden, not just the him being a jackass, calling this guy fat and challenging him, wanting to do push-ups or take me out of the shire. Okay. <laughs> but listen to how much more lucid he was even then. And we thought Joe Biden was done in 2019. We thought this man was absolutely mashed potato brains in 2019. And then I'll play a clip from him from 2023. And we'll see how much of a downfall that is going on in his mind. So here's 2019 Joe Biden. On the other hand, that's your son over there. Get a job and work for a gas company, but you had no experience in class or nothing. In order to get access to the president. So you're you're selling access to the president just like he does. So what, just setting it up or resetting it up for people who don't remember this is that fat voter, and the reason I say that is because Joe Biden calls him fat, is there was criticisms of Hunter Biden and his business deals. And again, this guy is not a Republican. He's an Elizabeth Warren supporter. And of course, Joe has to be like, hey, I'll kick your ass then. So you're a damn liar, man. That's not true. And no one has ever said that. No one has done that. I see it on the TV. You see it on the TV. No, I know you do. And by the way, that's why I'm not sedentary. I don't like it up and... and, and no, let them go. Let them go. Look, the reason I'm running is because I've been around a long time and I know more than most people know. And I can get things done. That's why I'm running. And you want to check my shape on it, let's do push-ups together again. Let's do, let's run. Let's do whatever you want to do. Let's take my No one has said my son has done anything wrong, and I did not on any occasion. And no one has ever said it. Not I didn't once. say you were doing anything wrong. You said, said I set up my son to work in an oil company. Isn't that what you said? I Get your word straight, Jack. That's but I hear on, the, on MSNBC. Oh, you don't hear that on MSNBC. You did not hear that at all. What you heard? Look, okay, I'm not going to get an argument with you, man. Well, yeah, you do. But, uh, but look, uh, look, here's the deal. 
Here's the deal. It looks like you don't have to go back over to the Trump belt. Let him talk. Let him talk. Any other questions? Yeah. I'm not voting for you. Well, I knew you were, man. You think I thought you stand with hope for you're too old to vote for me? I remember listening to that clip and watching that at the time and going, this guy is just. He can't be president. You can't go up and call somebody fat, challenge them to doing a push-up contest because you you think that you're in better shape than this voter. And yet, what? Let's see, December, three months later, that's when uh, they, they're like, yeah, no, we're all voting for Joe Biden. Really? And they're going to do it again. That's the problem. So that was Joe Biden from four years ago. That was lucid Joe Biden, which is weird because, again, four years ago, I looked at that saying that this there's no way. I mean he's he's talking about corn pop and his leg hairs. Yeah, I was in the pool. Yeah, my leg hairs would float up and uh, your kids would like put my leg hairs down and to like press them down and then they keep floating back up again. And corn pop is bad dude going to the pool. Oh yeah, okay. And we all looked at each other saying there's no way this guy's going to be president. And sure enough, he became president, but there was a lot of shenanigans in order for that to happen. So, again, that's Joe Biden from four years ago. Here's Joe Biden just from the other day, stumbling over his words, honoring Barry Gibb of the Bee Gees. This is okay. You think of the Bee Gees, it's an infectious beat and the, that you hear in your own mind, but I think it's universal. It's simple. Simple human truths that their lyrics contain. So often capture and grip our hearts. Lyrics like, there's a certain kind of light that never shone on me from those hopelessly in love. Or, I've I've kicked around since I was born about the Bay Bridge 19-year-old struck by a dead-end job was trying to stay alive. The list goes on. The brothers bound made it all seem effortless and almost magical. They described it as, quote, We'll be walking down the street together and we'll simultaneously begin to sing the same song in the same key. God love you, Billy. I tell you, that's incredible. God love you, Billy. Uh, his name's Barry. Hey, you know, I'm a big Bee Gees fan. I love, uh, I love dancing back in the day to that uh, celebration song you guys had. I, I really like that. Uh, make a little love, get down tonight. <laughs> it's like, that's our president right now. Billy. Billy Gibb. Is he thinking of ZZ Top, like Reverend Billy G? No, no, he's not. That's He's gone. He is gone mentally. And he's gone physically, too, because every time he's on the stage, there was Dr. Jill had to guide him off the stage. He gets done, and he's standing there. I, I, I have the audio, but it's the audio's not great. It's the visual that shows... Biden's just standing there with that gate again where he doesn't know what to do with his hands and he's standing up straight because he really needs something to lean on and he's like, oh, where do I go off stage? Right? There's a ramp over here. There was that memo that came out a couple of months ago that they said they were going to try to stop him from falling <laughs> by giving him better tread on his shoes and have more ramps. I'm sorry, I think that means our president is a little bit too old. If you have to worry about having him with better tread on his shoes 
and making sure that he has a ramp to go down instead of steps in order to prevent him from falling. That's the president of the United States. This is, my, let's see, my grandfather is 85 right now. He needs a ramp to get around. He needs help getting into the, to the car. Joe Biden is four years younger than him. There's no reason for this man to be, like, my grandfather retired from work in, I think, about 2000, 2001, which would make him, what, 60, well, just over 60 years old. He worked in manufacturing, he worked in shops. So he's been retired for almost a quarter century. Joe Biden is still the president of the United States and is running again. And if you think that all this Israel-Palestine, the, the, this wedge issue where older Democrat voters are still supportive of Israel and younger Democrat voters are supportive of Palestine, and there's been this, they, they, I've heard rumors of this groundswell of people wanting to, uh, young Democrats, young liberals jumping off the Joe Biden platforms and, uh, and Joe Biden support. And no, they're not. Who are they going to go, who are they going to vote for? Are they going to vote for Donald Trump, who was the most pro-Israel president? Are they going to vote for Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, who are the most pro-Israel uh, candidates ever? Are they going to vote for RFK, who's been also, in many ways, unfortunately, too pro-Israel, for a guy who's supposed to be a dissident candidate? Where are they going to go? They're going to go right back to voting for Joe Biden, because that's just how life is. They're going to look and they say... Ugh. Lesser than, what's the, what's the lesser of two evils here? I guess I'll vote for Joe Biden. See, things may not have been that bad, right? Yeah, except for everything is way overpriced. There you go. That's Bidenomics. I did mention uh, Israel, but let's talk Ukraine. The Forgotten War. This is now the Forgotten War that, uh, I forgot who said this, that it seems that Ukraine was always the United States mistress, but the wife is Israel. And all that APAC money, and you see that it has like sweeping bipartisan uh, uh, support for Israel. Not so much with Ukraine. Well, uh, we've been hearing a lot more that uh, we need more money for Ukraine. Here's Chris Coons talking about that. And, uh, Zelensky set to address uh, U.S. senators in a classified video briefing that's going to take place today. It comes as the director of the White House Office of Management and Budget warning the U.S. is in danger of running out of money to send weapons and assistance to Ukraine by the end of the year. The White House now pushing for a more than $100 billion package for Ukraine, Israel, and other uh, priorities. Joining us right now is Democratic Senator Chris Coons of Delaware. Good morning to you. Uh, we've been talking about uh, this very issue now for, for several weeks, if not months. Uh, where do you think things really stand, and do you th think the balance is going to shift as a result of this, this briefing that's going to take place today? Well, Andrew, several weeks ago, President Zelensky came and addressed the entire Senate in person in the old Senate chamber. And following that address, uh, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell and much of his leadership declared that they are united with Democrats in their strong support for Ukraine. In fact, Senator McConnell said no one is a stronger supporter of Ukraine's fight for freedom than I am. Oof, that, well, that, okay, well, let's continue here. This is an opportunity for us to make that real, to find a path forward uh, we are going to move forward, I believe, on President Biden's request for more than $13 billion to help secure our border, $60 billion for Ukraine and their security, which includes tens of billions of dollars of investment in American manufacturing mm. that Ukraine needs, 
as well as vital humanitarian assistance for dozens of countries around the world. Okay, so basically, we get $13 billion for the border, which we'll see what happens with that. Remember when Trump wanted a border wall, wanted like $5 billion, and they said no, yet we're sending $60 more billion to Ukraine to help their borders. We don't really care that much about our borders here in the United States. This is an example of more bipartisan America last. So if Chris Coons and Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer and all these other people, they care more about, oh, well, you know, it's going to help for American manufacturing over in Ukraine. Oh, oh, oh really? So the breadbasket of, of <laughs> come on, the breadbasket of Eastern Europe continues more weapons contractors, more contractors over there. So they're fine with continuing this war until every last Ukrainian is dead. As long as it takes. Well, we got to keep this going as long as it takes. And remember, if you uh, are not supportive of it, I I'm surprised they're still going with this talking point nearly two years later. We're going on almost year three of this war. But here we are again. If you don't support Ukraine, you're rooting for Putin. Oof. I want to ask a question about Ukraine. Are you saying that any member of Congress who votes against aid to Ukraine is voting for Putin? I believe that any member of Congress who does not support funding for Ukraine is voting for an outcome that will make it easier for Putin to prevail. That is, a vote against supporting Ukraine is a vote to improve Putin's strategic position. That's just an inescapable reality. That's not speaking to someone's motive why they chose to vote against it, that's just speaking to the outcome of their vote. A vote against supplemental funding for Ukraine will hurt Ukraine and help Russia. It will hurt democracy and help dictators. And we think that that is not the right lesson of history and that every member, Democrat and Republican, should vote to support this. That's the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. So, yeah, once again, if you do, for not sending 60 to 100 more billion dollars over to Ukraine, it means you like Vladimir Putin. It's this, it, I can't stand this, bin, for, for a group of people that talk about non-binary with their gender, that there's, you know, 80 million different genders and sexualities and whatever, but yet they look at everything as a binary choice of, well, if you don't support Ukraine, it means you support Putin and Russia. No, no, I, I, just, it's, it's incredible, but I'm looking through the content, everyone's like, no lie detected, that's what happens, that's what happens when the GOP apologists and the, for Putin, blah, blah, blah. there's, where's the off-ramp here, we're still, and you notice nobody, none of your friends talk about Ukraine anymore, they, they don't have the Ukraine, uh, flag in their profile picture and you know, Slava Ukraine and or not support. It, those days are gone. They moved on. They moved on to Israel and Palestine. I, they're still going to continue that because, again, it is the mistress. So while the focus is on Israel, they're still wanting to send more of our taxpayer dollars over to Ukraine to support a war that Ukraine will lose. It, it, there's no question about it. They're not going to win this. They're not there. There should have been. I am not a geopolitical expert. I am not Henry Kissinger. Rest in rest in power, Henry Kissinger. I've I have issues with Henry Kissinger, as I think a lot of people do. But um, you know, hundred years, what a run. Ukraine. This should have been at the negotiating table within a month. 
I'll give it a month. I, it really should be two weeks. It should have been early March of 2022. There should have been at the negotiating table and just going, let's, let's get this over with. Let's spare innocent lives who will be in the crossfires. And sure enough, we're going on almost two years of fighting and hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians dead. But here in the West, here in America, here in our press, we have to pretend that Ukraine is, what, just a couple of missiles away from winning this war. And the, the constant Putin uh, propaganda. Oh, I, Putin has cancer. Look at Putin gripping the table. He's about to die. Well, it seems like that was propaganda. It's more war propaganda. I don't believe it. Don't believe it one bit. A um, couple other things before I head out of here. thought this was kind of funny. Uh, oh, here's Bill Maher talking about... He doesn't know what... Bill Maher... It's funny because he's a he's a useful idiot on both ways. For liberals, for a long time, from the since the '90s, Bill Maher was always like he's the smartest guy. He is our he is our guy, Bill Maher. Like he, Bill Maher essentially is a stupid person's version of what a smart person is. And he's not really well-read on a lot of stuff. We, we, we pretend he is. Oh, he sounds smart, and he's got his own show. He's been doing politics and comedy for so many years, has his own podcast. And every so often, he says something that a, or a, someone on the dissident right will say, oh, okay, that's a good point. He, I, I've said that. I probably disagree with Bill Maher 90% of things he said. But uh, it, it's one of those cases of this is... Uh, him just not knowing anything. So here he is on his podcast talking to uh, Roseanne Barr, and Roseanne's just spouting a couple of things out there. He's like, I don't know what that is. I have no idea what that is. No wonder I don't remember this. No shit, you blocked it out, MK Ultra. Uh, <laughs> who's that? That's the mind control program you're under, Bill. MK Ultra. Yeah. So who's but who's Klaus Schwab? The head of the WEF. What's that? Google it. Wow. How does Bill Maher not know what MKUltra is? Uh, it, it's a quick Google search, and it's been proven. And this isn't just like outlandish conspiracy theory. I mean, just like Operation Northwoods, just like uh, the... Um, uh, well, I mean, and all the way up until Epstein and uh, the the newer stuff. This stuff has been declassified. That MK Ultra was something that happened. Yes, the mind control, uh, slipping uh, LSD into cups of coffee to get uh, people to spill the beans, and they were doing this for a long time. Uh, I believe Ted Kaczynski was a part of it too, and Charles Manson, and uh, Bill Maher doesn't know what he's talking about. So, or he doesn't know what's going on in society. So, I'm not shocked because, again, like I said, Bill Maher is a stupid person's version of what a smart person is. Um, so they're going after Elon Musk. Last week, Elon had a an interview with Andrew Ross Sorkin where he said, "Go f yourselves." If you are somebody who is out there trying to boycott. Twitter slash X. I'm still not calling it X. I'm calling it Twitter. If you're trying to boycott Twitter and call for these things because of perceived anti-Semitism, then go f yourselves. That's not the as uh, what's his name the um, who's the, who's the dude from um, CNN who got let go the 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 piggy dude. I forgot what his name is. Um, but 
he said, well, you know, with these companies, this is all part of the free market. No, it's not. Boycotts like this, like mass boycotts, are not the free market. That is astroturf. That is not. It's not the true free market. That is it. That is extortion, if anything. So they talk about where, where this anti-Semitism. That's what they're always saying. Well, you know, the rise of anti-Semitism is because of Elon Musk and his uh, anti-Semitism and his, his hatred towards uh, people uh, tweeting about the Jews on Twitter. Well, a new survey suggests TikTok is a meaningful driver in the surge of anti-Semitism. Spending at least 30 minutes a day on TikTok increases the chances of a respond uh, increases the chances a respondent holds anti-Semitic or anti-Israel views by 17% compared with 6% for Instagram and 2% for X. So the vast majority of anti-Semitism that is popping up and the pro-Palestine from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free is not from Twitter. It's not really from Meta, Instagram, Facebook. It's mainly from TikTok. I mean, just in the last couple of weeks, we have these TikTokers who are saying, you know, I've started reading the Quran. You know, uh, I, I read this letter Osama bin Laden wrote to America, and I gotta say, he makes some good points. You gotta hand it to Osama bin Laden. That's on TikTok. That's not Twitter. Twitter's not driving this. But because TikTok run by the Chinese... Meta run by uh, progressives and uh, all the other big time, big tech social media uh, uh, websites are run by these, uh, uh, these, these Democrats. So they have to look at who's the only dissident voice in the big tech sphere. And it's Elon Musk because he's not, Elon is a classical liberal. He's not your true, he's not a far right, he's not even a Trump guy, but they have to go after him because he bought Twitter to be a free speech website, which he has. People are actually having conversations, but it's also not the driver of today's anti-Semitism. Now, the way they look at it is their version of, they only look at right-wing anti-Semitism, where they blame the Jews for it raining today, or they blame the Jews that you got stuck in traffic. They're, they're not talking about the pro-Palestinian anti-Semitism, the leftist anti-Semitism that's going on in Congress openly. And we have to ignore it and think, uh, well, well, Marjorie Taylor Greene said Jewish space lasers one time. It's incredible. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, they're, they're basically, they're all still going after Elon Musk right now. So, Eamon, that was Elon Musk telling advertisers to go F themselves because he thinks he's being blackmailed by them, even though big corporations aren't blackmailing Twitter or X. They just don't want their ads being placed next to Nazi content. And this is a man who's taken a $44 billion company, that's what he paid for it, and halved it in value. So, yeah, I think Elon Musk is a walking demonstration of the myth of the billionaire genius. Yeah, and, and you can understand why advertisers don't want to be associated with a man who is reckless with his words, and certainly a man who is responsible for a company that is supposed to be responsible with the words of... So... Yeah, so, now, nah, uh, that's Mehdi Hassan, who, by the way, got his show canceled on MSNBC. He's now, they didn't fire him. He's still going to be a correspondent and fill-in host every so often, but Mehdi Hassan, his uh, show, which was watched by three people, I think, and that might be generous, he got let go. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's just, it's... There, this is old media that is fearful of what free speech. I mean, you notice that every authoritarian regime, and especially authoritarian regime media, 
the biggest fear they have is when people have that freedom of expression, freedom to uh, carry a gun, freedom of this, freedom of that. They don't want you to be free. And this is what it comes down to is you have a platform like Twitter that is allowing people back on who got booted, not for saying Nazi things. You can still get booted from Twitter right now for saying, <clears throat> you know, really outlandish racial or Nazi-esque things. But people who got booted because they criticized mask wearing, that they said it wasn't working or whatever, and they got kicked off of Twitter for it in the old regime, the Yol Roth days. And in the Jack Dorsey days, you would get kicked off because you said something that was anti-science, and we over here at Twitter believe in science. Okay. So, uh, they're fearful of his platform and being free speech, so they have to say that all this anti-Semitism is coming from the pro-free speech platform, when in reality, it's coming from the Chinese-owned TikTok, which TikTok in China teaches kids like how to read and it's you know normal stuff and here we teach kids uh, we teach boys that they're girls girls that they're boys and that uh israel doesn't exist isn't that funny <sighs> let's see uh last thing i'll mention actually uh, i was gonna mention the the covid stuff they're trying that again with uh they're still wearing masks around i whatever i in that press conference I, with Jake Sullivan, the reporter was asking the question, had her mask on, because, you know, COVID's still a thing. COVID's not over. The mask shows you who you're voting for. Whether you like it or not, if you're still wearing a mask in 2023, you are telling me everything about your personality. You've let COVID, you let the COVID hysteria, lockdown hysteria, vaccine hysteria, take over your entire personality. You're telling me everything there is to know about you by wearing a little face covering. It Nearly four years into... Actually, it is four years into this because it's 2019. So I was going to get into that. Uh, there's a couple other things I can get to. Last thing, um, here is a, a teacher that says, of course, the parents... This kind of like it goes back to what I was saying early on in the podcast is that parents are dangerous, they're domestic terrorists. Traditional Catholics, traditional Christians, Christian nationalists, we're the domestic terrorists. Here's a teacher who's essentially saying that parents are the dangerous ones. Do you know if there are any bills or school board candidates in your area that are focused on parents' rights in education? If so, there's a good chance they might be putting trans and LGBTQ plus youth in danger. Most people advocating for these so-called parents' rights are advocating to out LGBTQ plus students to their families. If a young person isn't coming out to their family, there might be a reason for that. And if they are rejected by their parents because of their identity, they're eight times more likely to attempt to end their own life. So they're at risk for self-harm, but they're also at risk for abuse and neglect. Let's look at the kinds of abuse that trans and non-binary students might face if they're outed by their teacher to their families. So as you can see here, 13% of trans and non-binary students report that their families have been physically violent towards them. And 11% of their families have threatened them with homelessness or forced them to leave the home. So obviously students are not going to feel comfortable coming out to their teachers. These students may not have any other adult to talk to. And we know that having at least one supportive adult in their life can reduce the risk of them attempting to end their life by 40%. So if you care about keeping students safe, then please look into these bills and look into these candidates who are running under the guise of parents' rights. Stay up to date on issues of social justice and education. Follow Little Justice Leaders. Yeah, so if you're a parent who finds out that uh, your kid is being actively transitioned at school because, uh, oh, I, 
see, there's a reason why these kids are afraid to come out to their parents because their parents are going to disown them. They're going to cause them to commit suicide. No, the parents have every right to know what's going on with their kids. The kids are not 18. They, They really don't have a say. And also, th- this whole thing of coming out to teachers and opening up to teachers. I never talk to my teachers about anything going on in my personal life because it's none of their business. It's like I, I may not bring it up to my parents if I had something going on, but I'm certainly not going to bring it up to a stranger like my teacher. I didn't like my teachers. Who likes their teachers? <laughs> you're supposed to not like your – you're supposed to have a, an adversarial relationship with your teacher or, or it's a business relationship. That's what it is. I got to pass this class. I don't really care for this teacher. Teacher probably doesn't care for me all that much, but I got to get through it. And then we move on to another teacher next year that also probably doesn't like me and I don't like him or her or it nowadays, depending on what it is. But anyways, it, it, saying that, oh, this is, uh, this, you see, uh, the parents are the problem now because, well, you know, the, these kids have, uh, they're trying to come out and they need somebody to come out to. So they come out to teachers and now they want uh, the teachers to out the students. Well, um, the parents have every right to know what's going on in the curriculum and what's going on with their children. If a kid is going to school, if, if they're sending a little girl to school, and when she goes there and walks into what's called a transition closet and puts a chest plate, that's what they're calling it, a chest plate to tamp down her budding bosoms so she can be a boy for the rest of the day. And then when 225, right before the, 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 the final bell of the day and jumping on the school bus, then you go back into the transition closet and you put your clothes that your mom or dad made up for you and you come home. Uh, parents have every right to know that that's going on. And these teachers, and there's plenty of them, I've covered them ad nauseum on this podcast the last three years, these teachers say, no, you have no right. You are the birthing canal. I've talked about this many a times. You are the birthing canal and the landlord. These kids belong to the state. And if you disagree, you're a domestic terrorist. You're a Christian nationalist. You're a traditionalist Catholic. You're this and this. You're the enemy of the people, whatever. It's kind of the theme of this podcast. It just it, it all blends in together. It's all kind of all tied in right now. And so what are you going to do about it? Are you going to be afraid to say or do anything because you're afraid of being called a Christian nationalist, a domestic terrorist, uh, um, someone who's anti-teacher, anti-child? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, we, we have a lot of unimpressive people in the world that they're looking up to and all these social media outlets that kids are looking for some kind of meaning in their lives. So for the people who do find meaning in faith, and then they're going to be called a, a terrorist, a Christian nationalist, because they discovered something that was, I mean, that, that really spoke to them. And yet that's what our government wants. The, gov- the government, the state wants you to be stupid, fat, dumb. Uh, uh, stupid and dumb are the same thing. Probably, that's probably why they want me to be dumb. They want you to be stupid. They want you to sit around, do nothing, watch Netflix, look at TikTok, be indoctrinated by that. And uh, those are those values. That's our Christian values. It's basically nothing but that's the that's the Western values we have our usury, uh, butt stuff and war. You like that? (laughs) 
All right, that's enough for me on this podcast. My name is Tony Mazur. This is the Check Your Brain Podcast. I'll be back with you with another free episode next week, but go to patreon.com slash Tony Mazur for more. Thanks, everybody. Bye now.